today on Ag News Daily. And so the process is 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 tried and true. Once that application's approved, it goes to the payment system. That happens very very quickly. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-hosting the Ag News Daily podcast with Delaney Hound. Delaney, how you doing today? I'm pretty good, Mike. How about you? Not too shabby. And Ashton Carr. Ashton, how's your day going? It's going pretty good so far. Fantastic. I tell you what, there are a lot of things continuing to happen in the world of agriculture. Delaney, what headlines are you watching today? Well, I think this is very fitting because we are chatting with Administrator Fordyce of USDA's FSA later in the podcast to talk about the CFAP program. But on kind of a little bit different terms here, the House is back in session today. They're not supposed to be, but they kind of called an emergency back in session uh, meeting to discuss the Paycheck Protection Program. So they are discussing it. It's, of course, not specific to agriculture, but is important to agriculture nonetheless. They're discussing extending the period that the loan proceeds can be used and still forgiven. Right now, loans would be only forgiven after about eight weeks. The bill's looking to extend that to 24 weeks. And also, here's the big part, I think, remove the requirement that 75% of the money has to be spent on payroll. I think they're just looking to nix that clause altogether, meaning in what I'm going to assume here that any money used doesn't have to be for payroll as part of that PPP program. No, that'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out because the eight-week period for a lot of those first uh, receivers mm-hmm. of the PPP program is about expired. Yep. I don't know what good this would do unless they're going to do another round of PPP, which I haven't heard in the cards. I haven't either. Um, but I guess the thing that it could do is for those people who use the Paycheck Protection Program only 75% of your money was forgiven as a grant. That other 25% was essentially being paid back as a loan. So I think if they take it out, to me, that almost sounds like all of the money would be forgiven and none of it would be as a loan. Gotcha. Okay, well, that is interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on that and see how that all manifests. But I've got some news that segues well from that story because it is somewhat PPP related. The Rural Main Street Index put together by Creighton University was released earlier today, and it's up slightly in the month of uh, May, rather, from April's number. So in April, the RMI, which is an index that goes from zero to 100, with 50 being growth neutral. In the month of April, that dropped all the way down to 12.1. Remember, 50 is neutral. So it was all the way down at 12.1. In the month of May, it has increased slightly. It climbed up to 12.5. So bankers were feeling slightly more confident in the economy. However, they do still anticipate farm bankruptcies to rise, and they are seeing less demand for working capital, uh, or I should say operating notes, from farmers. However, they did say that 100% of the bankers surveyed for the Rural Main Street Index consider the Paycheck Protection Program to be successful, and 20% of those surveyed would like to see the program expanded. So, you know, definitely PPP was a measure to try and keep employment up, but I think more than anything, as we've seen with a lot of these government programs, they were ways to keep banks solvent or keep lenders solvent, rather borrowers solvent, so they could repay their lender which I guess bankers are pleased that it did. 
Yeah. Well, they're getting a paid, they're getting paid out. So of course they're happy with that. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, I think the program worked as anticipated from the lender's perspective. Yeah, I would agree. Ashton, what news are you watching on the day? I have one little bit of news coming out of Brazil. Their second largest port is resuming work after a crew member tested positive for COVID-19. Specifically, it's a grain port. And so you would expect that exports might be a little bit affected, but Brazil says so far their soy exports haven't been affected, but they're getting back into using that large port. And so hopefully that'll be a little light at the end of the tunnel and they'll get to resume as normal. Yeah, I uh, am. I think that's a good follow-up too for the news I reported on yesterday with Brazil continuing to push the envelope on getting soybean exports out of the country. It doesn't sound like this port closure was really affecting that too much. No, okay. The what from what I've read, um, they haven't really seen too much of a difference in their soy exports, but hopefully with this port opening back up, they'll see a little bit more, I don't know, safety and all that fun stuff as they're beginning to open up and like you said, push that envelope. It will be interesting to watch. You know, we talked about it yesterday, the spread of COVID-19 in Brazil. You know, it's really increasing very rapidly down there. And I think yesterday's port closure there at Paranagua could be an indication that we might see more of this flash closings of ports while they, they, you know, clean and disinfect. And like you say, Ash, it was only closed for 24 hours. But, you know, that was just because of one worker. If more folks start becoming sick, It could certainly have an impact, and that sentiment was reflected earlier today in a conversation from the head, the CEO of BRFSA, the second largest meatpacker in Brazil. Uh, Lorival Luz said uh, that it would be mathematically impossible to keep current meat output levels if plants were ordered to shut. So in Brazil, there have been very few plants ordered to close due to the coronavirus. A few have closed to do some deep cleanings, but most of them have just sent workers home and they have continued processing. Uh, He did say that plants have slowed down, mainly due to worker absenteeism as that illness has gripped the country. But um, this is one of those things that could have an impact in Brazil's meat production. And given the pace at which China was buying pork and beef from Brazil last year, extended shutdowns on those meatpacking plants could lead to more exports from the U.S. Yes, certainly could. Mike, I am going to bring things back here domestically because, of course, as you mentioned on the podcast yesterday, we received our planting progress numbers yesterday as opposed to Monday to the holiday weekend, and we saw corn planted at 88% so the week prior it was just at 82% so didn't see a huge jump there um North Dakota notably though is 25% behind their five-year average then when we turn our attention to soybean plantings we are at 65% planted nationwide North Dakota again is only at about 29% while their five-year average is upwards of 60% for this time of year Yeah, yeah, big slowdowns there in the north. The other thing that was, uh, I think, highlighted by that crop progress report were the delays in hard red spring wheat plantings across North Dakota, parts of South Dakota, and northwestern Minnesota. Those delays continue to accelerate, and that might light a little fire under the wheat markets. 
Yes, it certainly could. So we'll keep our eye on that. I have just one other quick piece of news for today. Again, looking at CFAP, since we're going to be talking about that here in just a moment, the University of Illinois has put together a little study and done some surveys with farmers asking about CFAP specifically, not Paycheck Protection Program, just CFAP, but says that corn and soybean growers have put some numbers together and decided they won't come even close to breaking even without another round of coronavirus relief payments. And we haven't heard any indications of if we will see another round of CFAP payments. This first one, as we know, just started sign up yesterday. We're going to talk about that a little bit more with Administrator Fordyce here in just a moment. But uh, they say at current market prices, farmers are going to be struggling to even break even, even with this $16 billion in relief payments. Yeah. And I think think we're going to see agriculture struggle even more if these corn acres come even close to what USDA said farmers were intending to plant back on March 31st, Delaney. Yep, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, uh, we've got that great interview coming up with uh, Administrator Fordish. Should we jump in and see what the markets are doing before we have our conversation about what CFAP looks like on the farm? Let's do it. All right, folks. And we've got mixed trade in the grains. Prices, again, traded much higher earlier this morning, and then they just kind of drifted lower throughout the day, closing corn higher, beans higher, wheat a little lower. In the corn market, July contract was up one and a half cents at 320 and a half. December contract up half a cent, closed the day at 334 and a half. Over in soybeans, the July contract was up one and a half cents at 848 and a half. November new crop up half a penny to close at 855 and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, July was down two and a quarter at 504 and a half. Excuse me, December contract down two and a half cents to close at 517 and a quarter. Looking at the livestock market, after yesterday's push through some key technical levels, cattle continued their buying spree. June live cattle up $1.40 at 180. The August contract up $1.47.50 at 172 and a half. Feeder cattle, same story. The August contract up 72.5 cents at 134.0250. September up 65 cents, closed the day at 135.0750. Lean hogs started the day stronger after another technical breakthrough, but then finished weaker. July contract down 27.5 cents at 59.30. The August contract up 45, closed at 57.60. Looking over at the dairy market, in Class 3 milk, we've got the May contract up $0.04 cents at twelve twenty-three. The June contract continues to rally up another $0.36 cents today, mainly on the strength of cheese, closing at seventeen eighty-eight. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Administrator of the FSA, Richard Fortas. Hey guys, I'm sure you've probably heard me mention it before, but when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state of Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go, with the stories that matter most. And it's not just for Iowans. This Spokesman Speaks just wrapped up a three-part series on managing farm stress in the midst of COVID-19, featuring Dr. Larry Trannell, a pastoral psychologist and extension dairy specialist who has spent more than 30 years working with farm families. If you tune in, you're going to hear great tips that could help all of us right now, including how to identify and manage unhealthy stress in our lives, 
how to continue making effective business decisions and communicate well despite stress, and how to manage stress as a family. You can find and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app, or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Today we have FSA Administrator Fordyce on our call today to talk to us about the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, absolutely, Ashton. It's good to be with you. So why don't you give our listeners just a little bit of basic information about CFAP? We've talked a little bit about it, but there's been some confusion, some misinterpretation. So why don't you go ahead and just lay it all out for us? Uh, well, certainly. Uh, <clears throat> so the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, or CFAP, um, as we refer to it, uh, um, uh, is uh, is our response to uh, that have that have been affected by the the COVID nineteen pandemic as it relates to losses in in values of their commodities um, or have had supply chain disruptions and we are um, we're we're covering uh, several categories um, what we refer to as non specialty crops or um, others may think of them more of our, our row crop kind of commodities, um, corn, soybeans, cotton, um, those kinds of things. Um, livestock, so cattle, pigs, um, also um, uh, some, some sheep, so yearlings, um, uh, yearling sheep. Um, and then also uh, dairy, um, so so milk production from dairies, and then finally specialty crops. Um, currently, we have uh, 44 um, different specialty crops that uh, that are currently in the program. Uh, the program has 16 billion dollars in funding um, th that will be spread across the different categories uh, to to provide assistance. Um, you know, $16 billion sounds like um, a lot of money, but when you, uh, when you spread that out to, uh, to a number of producers um, in these different categories, um, you know, it, it's um, uh, that $16 billion um, certainly is providing, it's providing definitely needed uh, relief and support. But it's 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 not it's probably not going to make producers whole. So you know, if you think about a corn producer or a pork producer um, that you know has, um, you know, what the program is, you know, in probably in most cases is not going to make up all of those losses, um, but certainly goes a long way a long way to help. Administrator Fordyce, I wanted to ask a point of clarification, too, because as Ashton mentioned there, we've been receiving a lot of different pieces of news, some of it true, some of it maybe interpreted or misinterpreted. Um, when you look at the CFAP funding specifically, is this $16 billion coming solely from the CARES Act, the HEROES Act, or is it also coming from CCC funding? 
So great question uh, is one of the things that uh, that we've talked about some. Um, and so it's coming from two different funding sources. Um, the CARES Act uh, uh, allowed for nine and a half billion dollars to support this program. And we were able to secure six and a half billion from CCC um, to help go toward uh, the total of 16 billion. So nine and a half, um, 9.5 billion from the CARES Act and 6.5 billion um, from the CCC Charter Act Borrowing Authority. So, Administrator Fortis, when you look at this program, it was put together you know, relatively quickly. Obviously, since this coronavirus thing impacted, it is, I imagine, quite a struggle to get the machinery of government up to speed and to get a program like this put together. And, you know, as such, of course, there have been some uh, you know, questions and curiosities into how the information has been put out there. And I know you guys have been diligently working on making the rules I've had a few questions coming from producers about eligibility. This seems to be a big, hot topic as folks are getting ready to call their FSA offices. The biggest question I've heard from growers on the row crop side, uh, you know, corn, soybeans, and wheat, is if I have grain stored on my farm that I have hedged on the board, I've sold ahead, does that count as bushels on hand? Is it sold bushels? How does that type of situation work out in the math for the CPAP program? So um, another great question, and this has been one that, you know, that we have worked on, uh, you know, really for the last two or three weeks um, to, to provide, you know, greater clarity um, to our producers and frankly to our staff, you know, that are out in the field. Um, so, so let me back up just a little bit in the non-specialty. So the, so the crops that you're mentioning, um, first off, we're going to look at 2019 production and we're going to, we're going to ask in the application, we're going to ask the producer to indicate based on commodity, what was their 2019 production? The maximum eligible bushels that would be um, eligible for, for CFAP would be 50% of that 2019 production. So then we look at what was in inventory um, as of January 15th. And so let's use 10,000 bushels um, as an example. So 10,000 bushels uh, was the producer's production in 2019. Um, as we move forward in the, in the process of the application, uh, 5,000 bushels would be eligible for the, uh, uh, for the CFAP program. If the producer had sold or no longer had ownership, of let's say half of that. So the producer still had 2,500 bushel, then it's just the 2,500 bushel that would, would be eligible um, to go through the rest of the process. We have said that the producer still must, so of those remaining bushels, the producer still must maintain price risk. So, so those bushels are still exposed to the market in some form or fashion. So we are going to come out, we'll be coming out with additional guidance um, likely today 
that has better definitions uh, about what that is, what are some of those contracts that are eligible, what are some of those, for example, that are not eligible. If that, if those bushels were already priced, so a forward, um, something like that, where the producer has not, has relinquished any price risk, then those bushels are not eligible for CFAP. Um, you know, if the producer had some type of an agreement, um, um, uh, some type of a marketing agreement where there still was um, some exposure to price risk, then those bushels are eligible. And again, we're going to have uh, we're going to have more guidance out on that today. Um, and there's also a frequently asked questions um, um, piece that um, that's on the farm slash CFAP website. I think Perfect. one of the other big questions then that kind of ties in nicely to that, that I've seen a lot of people posing on Twitter and Facebook and otherwise is how do you prove or do you need to prove the amount of bushels and or livestock that you had as of January? So um, you guys are asking really, really good questions. Um, so, so it is a producer self-certification. <clears throat> and so, for example, um, you know, if you were a lot, so the categories are all just a bit different. Um, for example, the um, crop category, we are not, um, we are not asking for sales during a period of time. On the livestock category, we are going to ask for number of heads sold from January 15th to April 15th, and then an inventory number from January or from April 16th to May 14th. Um, and we're going to pay rates um, on both of those, both um, the number of head that were sold and the number of head that you have in inventory. And the producer picks that date. So it's a self-certification. Um, so we're asking producers to self-certify. It will be approved by our local county committees. They're gonna, they'll be the ones that, that approve these applications. And it's a very streamlined process. It, it, it can happen very quickly, <clears throat> but there's one caveat. And that is that um, any producer that, that, that participates in the CFAP program, there is a spot check provision. And so, so folks will be randomly selected for a spot check. At that point, then the producer is going to need the documentation to support um, to support what they've put on their application. Um, and so, uh, so again, it's a self-certification by the producer, but those those numbers have been accurately reflect, you know, either what's in inventory or what's been sold. Um, during those times um, in the that are outlined in the program. So, uh, Administrator Fortis, just a quick point of clarification: the sales that a livestock producer reports over that time frame—that is what will be paid out of CARES money. The total inventory is what is getting paid on CCC money. Is that the distinction for the two different, uh, basically, numbers that livestock that, producers will provide? That is correct. Yes, that's correct. So sign up started yesterday and they go until August 28th. So what is the timeline process looking like for a farmer if he were to sign up, you know, yesterday, how long would it look, 
look like for him to get his assistance? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, well, let me let me back up a little bit. Um, so yesterday was the first day for sign up and and, you know, we've been talking about the CFAP program, I guess, for a week and a half or so since the secretary had made the announcement. Um, so highly anticipated by producers. And, and we saw that yesterday, a lot of response, um, you know, in our, from our county office staff. Um, you know, we are not operating, we're not having producers come in the door. So all of this work um, is either done, you know, over the phone, email. We've got some other technologies that we can participate with producers to get signatures. And um, we did actually have applications approved yesterday and sent for payment. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, once your application is complete, it's been approved, you know, at that local county committee level, which, again, that, that is a very, very quick process, likely the same day. Um, you know, then it goes to the, payment, uh, to the payment system, and folks ought to start seeing, you know, payments relatively quickly. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to say a day or two days. Um, that may be the case in some cases, and it may be, you know, just a little bit longer than that. But I will say that, you know, the farm agency, um, you know, we've been in the business for a long time of making, you know, lots of payments at the same time. We've got a payment system, um, you know, that can generate, you know, hundreds of thousands of payments overnight if, if, if they're loaded into the payment system. And so the process is, 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 is tried and true. Once that application's approved, it goes to the payment system. That happens very, very quickly. Uh, again, I would hate to I would hate to say a day, two days, it, but you know it's going to be very quick. Absolutely. Well, again, that Absolutely. was FSA Administrator Fordyce, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about CFAP today. Absolutely, it's very good to visit with you all. Well, big thanks to Administrator Fordyce for taking the time to answer some of our questions. And, uh, you know, we just kind of scratched the surface with some of the peculiarities that will come along with this CFAP payment. So if you've got questions, be sure to be in contact with your local FSA office because that's where the rules are going to go first. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like he shared there, you know, they understand that this isn't going to fix everything. They've been pretty upfront, I think, about that. So I think that was just nice to have that acknowledgement. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, Delaney, but uh, we can't fix everything either, but we can certainly make you aware of it. It's what we try to do here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. If there are things you are unaware of, maybe check our past episodes. You can find them on our website at agnewsdaily.com. And if there are things we are unaware of, let us know. Find us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. With that, Ashton, shall we let the people go? Let's let them go.